Would you remain standing in honor of God's word as we go to our text for today? Mark chapter number 9, verse 28, and then Exodus chapter number 17. Mark chapter 9, verse 28, and Exodus chapter 17, beginning in Mark. After Jesus had gone indoors, his disciples asked him privately, why couldn't we drive it out? And Jesus said, this kind comes out only but by prayer, and some versions say, and fasting. Exodus chapter 17, verse number 8. Now Amalek came and fought with Israel in Rephidim. And Moses said to Joshua, choose us some men and go out and fight with Amalek. Tomorrow I will stand at the top of the hill with the rod of God in my hand. And so Joshua did as Moses told him and fought with Amalek. And Moses, Aaron, and Hur went up to the top of the hill. And it was when Moses held up his hand that Israel prevailed. And when he let down his hand, Amalek prevailed. But Moses' hands became heavy. So they took a stone and put it under him. And he sat on it. And Aaron and Hur supported his hands, one on one side and the other on the other side. By the way, there are some battles that you need help with. There are some battles that you cannot fight on your own. One of, the, one of the advantages of being part of a church body is so that when you go through something that you're not strong enough to handle, you can get some help as you're going through. Because sometimes whether you win or lose is dependent upon the help that you have. Amen? And it says, and Aaron and her supported his hands, one on one side, one on the other side. And his hands were steady until the going down of the sun. So Joshua defeated Amalek and his people with the edge of the sword. I want to talk to you today about prayer power. Whether we realize it or not, there's power in prayer. Whether we have embraced it or not, either theologically or in our minds or practically, some things in life only move by prayer. Whether it's something that has become part of our core belief or not, there are some battles that you will not win. No matter how hard you try, no matter how good of a person you are, unless you are committed to prayer, there is power in prayer. Prayer moves the hand that moves the universe. Prayer invites God to intervene in our circumstances. Prayer is so, so important. A Christian without prayer is a powerless Christian. Prayer must be something that is a regular part of our life and our diet and our weaponry as people and children of God. So I want to talk to you today about prayer power. Let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, would you make this sermon, would you make this message real and relevant? Would you help somebody today, whether they're here at this location, at one of our other locations, or watching online or by television, would you speak to their hearts in Jesus' name? And everybody said, you may be seated. Prayer is powerful, but yet there are many reasons why we don't pray. For, in, for instance, some people don't pray because of the problem with self-image. They don't feel like they're worthy. They don't feel like God is going to answer their prayers. They, they, they kind of have a hang-up on who they used to be or maybe what they're still struggling with. And that creates a low self-image. And so why pray God's not going to answer me anyway? He may answer other people, but, but I'm not worthy. And other people don't pray because they have a problem with ignorance. They'd like to pray. Um, they, they know prayer. Prayer is powerful, but they don't know how to pray, and they, they feel lost. They feel like, well, what am I supposed to say, and I don't know how to pray, and I, my prayers never last more than, you know, 10 seconds because I get stumped, and I don't know where to go, and so some people don't pray for that reason. Other people don't pray because they have a problem with faith. They, they, they don't believe that prayer works. 
Even people in the church, they, they figure, you know what? Well, you know, if God wants it, it'll just happen. And if God doesn't want it, then it, then, then it won't happen. And so they don't pray because they don't think prayer really does much of anything. Other people don't pray because of a problem with time. They're too busy to pray. I got a lot on my plate and, you know, I got to do this and go here and go there and bring the kids here and do this around the house and get to work and work overtime and all these things. How do I find time to pray? Martin Luther said this one time. He said, I have so much to do today. I've got to pray. Prayer, prayer doesn't actually take up time. Prayer creates more time because prayer brings you closer to God. And when you're closer to God, God rearranges and orchestrates and moves and, and puts things in divine order so that you're more efficient. But then some people don't pray, and this is a big one, because of the problem with self-reliance. One prominent man of God wrote this. He said, from birth, we've been learning the rules of self-reliance as we strain and struggle to achieve self-sufficiency. Prayer flies in the face of those deep-seated values. It's an assault on human autonomy, an indictment of independent living. To people in the fast lane determined to make it on their own, prayer is an embarrassing interruption. It is alien to our proud human nature. We don't pray for all of these reasons, but one of the truths that I want to get across to you today is that there are some things in your life that will not move unless you pray. Some battles you can't win unless you pray. Some battles you can't overcome by sheer strength. Some battles you can't overcome just because you got money. Some battles you can't overcome just because you got connections. Some battles you can't overcome just because of your sweet personality. There are some things that will not move in your life except we pray. And so here's my question for you. What are you struggling with that you don't have to be struggling with right now? Because you don't pray. What's, what's dog in your life that doesn't have to be dog in your life because you won't take it to God in prayer? What have you accepted in your life as permanent? What is, what is part of who you are that you believe you have to deal with for the rest of your life because you have not prayed? Oh, what needless burdens do we carry because we do not bring them all to God in prayer. Prayer is designed to move stuff that we cannot move on our own. And our text in Exodus chapter number 17, Jesus comes right out and says it. He says, this kind only comes out, but by prayer and fasting. But then in Exodus chapter number 17, we have a whole story that talks about a battle that hinged on the prayers of the army's leader. It's the story we read in our opening hearing, and it's the story of Moses, and he's got a problem, and his problem are, is the Amalekites, and, uh, you know, they want to defeat them. They're dogging Israel. They're, they're keeping Israel in captivity. They're trying to steal everything that belongs to Israel, and Israel belongs to God. They're God's favored people. Moses is God's chosen leader. Surely if God's intervention were automatic, this would have been a good time for God to show up. Have you ever thought that in your life? Well, God, if you really want this, this would be a good time for you to show up. God's intervention is not automatic. I want you to notice in the story what happens. Moses calls Joshua, his military leader, to him, and they have a little powwow, and they discuss a military strategy because, listen to me, prayer is important, but so is practical action. It's not one or the other. See, we as Christians, we like to carve God up. 
You know, we like to be like, okay, this, I'll do this part, but I don't know if I'm ready for this part. And I'll, I'll do this part, but I don't know if I'm ready for this part. And we kind of like take God in little pieces, you know, but it, God's the whole package. You don't, you don't get to pick and choose. And so there are practical things that we have to do. So he gets his military leader together. He says, what are we going to do? What's our strategy? And he says, okay, get your most powerful men and you go down to the battlefield and you fight a practical thing to do. Sometimes when we pray, God's answer will be practical. God, I'm broke. Get a job. That's the answer, right? You know, God, God, I I can't stop that habit. Stop looking at things that are feeding the habit. Hello? Right? God, 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 I, I don't know what to do about my marriage. Start acting kind in your marriage. Sometimes God will just give you a practical answer in prayer, right? So he says to, 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 to Joshua, go down and fight. And he says, when you go down and do the practical things, then I'll go up and do the spiritual things. And he goes up to the top of the mountain that is overlooking the battle. And, and as Moses is up there, he holds his hands up prayer position and as he holds his hands up and he's praying to God he looks down on the battlefield and Joshua is putting it on the Amalekites I mean they are hitting them up and they are taking them back and they are taking ground and they are pushing them away and they are they are they are holding whatever fortress they need to be holding at that time everything is going great but then something happens to Moses when the battle goes good what do we do we drop our hands has anybody ever done that before? You know, everything's going bad in your life. Things aren't going the way you want it to. And so you run to God in prayer and you're like, God, I'm so sorry. I know, I know it's been a little bit of a while. Forgive me for that, Lord. But you know, I really need you now. And I, I'd love for you to intervene in this situation. And you, you get serious and you make a commitment. I know I've only been to church 1.7 times this month because that's the national average. But this month, God, because I need you, I'll be there every single week. I'll throw in a few Wednesday nights, God. I might even serve a little bit God I need you God I need you God you start praying and praying and praying and suddenly your life begins to turn in the right direction and then what happens back to 1.7 times a month drop them hands drop them hands because because it's going good and so he 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 drops his hands and the Bible says he dropped his hands because he was tired but I think there's something in that I think it's that you know we get tired of being consistent we get tired of being faithful we, because we want instantaneous results all the time. You know, it's a lost art to press through in prayer. You know, the way the modern day church prays is we, we pray a two second prayer and we want a lifelong answer. You know, we, we don't ever want to give, we don't even want to press into the presence of God. And so Moses, he just gets weary. He drops his hands and almost in sync, you know, he drops his hands and suddenly he sees Joshua take a punch to the jaw. Oh, what's happening right there? And then another punch. And then the rest of the team is taking punches. And the military, all of a sudden the tide turns. And the Amalekites are now pushing back. And the Amalekites are not winning. And what does Joshua do? Same thing that you and I do. Hands up! Pulls his hands up in the air. And as soon as he puts his hands up in the air, and Israel starts to win. And I, I could see, like, if I was Joshua, I would have been like, I would have been checking it out. And, and see, the reason why it's in concert like this is because God is trying to tell us something. God is trying to tell us that, that battles in life, some battles, you cannot win 
unless you are in the prayer position. And this is the, the mastery of God. This, this, this is how God is just so far and away above ourselves. Because I think that the reason why some battles won't move unless we pray is because God wants us to be in this position of dependence upon him. Because we are so self-dependent. And so when we can't fix everything by ourselves, God is like, I love this. This is wonderful. This is the way I want this to be. Why? Because now they need to depend upon me. God wants a relationship with us. Prayer helps create that relationship because we recognize that sometimes it's not by might nor by power, but by his spirit. Sometimes we need to pray. And this story is an emphatic call to us. And an emphatic statement to us that prayer indeed is earthly license for heavenly interference. If you've been here for a little while, you've heard me say that time and time again. Did you know that heaven is waiting on your invitation? Heaven does not move all by itself. Heaven is needing an invitation from earth. Whatever the scripture says you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth earth shall be loosed in heaven it doesn't say it the other way around it doesn't say whatever is loosed in heaven will be loosed on earth whatever is bound in heaven will be bound on earth the earth comes first why because the way that god has created and designed this planet is for earth to invite heaven to participate it's the reason why jesus had to become a man i don't know about you but if i was god i would have stayed up on my throne and redeemed us i'd have been like done redeemed right I wouldn't have taken the time to virgin birth and become a child and live on the earth and subject myself to all that kind of stuff. But God had to. Why did God have to? Because heaven requires the invitation of a man. And God needed a perfect man to invite him into our situation and, and into our struggle so that he could redeem us. And so God became a man to invite himself onto the planet. Needs us. Needs an invitation. I look for a man, the Bible says, to stand in the gap and make up a head so that I wouldn't destroy the lamb, but I found none. I wanted somebody to invite me into the situation. But I couldn't find somebody. Because I couldn't find somebody, what I wanted to happen didn't happen. But I thought everything that God wants to happen always happens. Uh-uh. I don't know which, which Bible you're in. God needs an invitation. I picture God sort of like, anybody remember Hulk Hogan from back in the day? Remember the Hulkster, you know? Ripped the t-shirt off. I was going to do that as a illustration this morning, but I decided not to. You know, the way that I picked you, ever seen him in a tag team match? Right? And, and he's like, you know, the best wrestler of all time, right? And, and he's, he's hanging over the ring, you know, and he's begging his partner to tag his hand. But, and, and if he just jumps into the ring without getting his hand tagged, the ref gets in his way and pushes him back because it's illegal to enter the ring without the partner inviting him through a hand tap. The way I see God is with his outstretched hand hanging over the sapphire seal of heaven going, tag me in! Tag me in. How do you tag God in? It's prayer. Prayer is earthly license for heavenly interference. There, there are some battles we won't win unless we pray. But how many of you have prayed before and thought, well, God, that didn't work? And I'm not talking about the two-second prayer for a lifelong answer. I'm talking about prayed, 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 prayed. And God, I don't understand. Why didn't that work? Well, there's a reason why some prayers don't work, and it's because sometimes we're not praying according to the way the Bible teaches us to pray. Not all prayer is created equal. Not all prayer will bring the results in your life that you expect. 
The disciples needed to find out themselves, how do we pray? Remember, they asked Jesus, Lord, teach us to pray. He gave them the Our Father. In other words, there was a methodology. There was, there was, a, there was a, a, a practical way to pray. And Jesus gives us some very specific instructions in the Bible about how to pray to get results. And I want to give you just a few of them to help you get results in your praying. The first thing that we must do if we're going to get results in prayer, this is not a, this is not a maybe, it's a must, is we must pray in faith. Watch this. James chapter 1, verse number 6. James says, let him, anybody that needs wisdom from God, is basically the context. You're stuck. You don't know what to do. You don't know how to overcome a circumstance. You go to God. You ask him for wisdom. And says, but let him ask in faith with no doubting. Everybody say no doubting. For he who doubts is like a wave of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. For let not that man suppose that he will receive anything of the Lord. He's a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Now, I didn't say this. I wish it didn't say that. I wish it was like, yeah, you know, a little bit of doubting is fine. You know, it's okay. We all doubt. I, I wish, I wish personally that it said that, right? Because can we just be honest for a minute? It, it's not always easy to get out of doubt. Am I right about that? Sometimes doubt just assaults your, your mind over and over again. And by the way, next week when we get back into the regular groove of things and we continue with our series, Stay Woke, Waking Up Your Mind in Order to Change Your Life, I will teach you how to train your mind so that your mind doesn't doubt. Because you're in control, by the way, of what your mind thinks. Whether we realize it or not, like it or not, you are the steward of your mind. If you weren't the steward of your mind, God would never say in Philippians 4, 8, after all these things, think on these things, right? He wouldn't tell you what to think on if you didn't have the ability to choose what to think on and what not to think on. But James says right here that if you're going to go to God, you're going to ask him for, for something. It must be with no Doubting, no doubting whatsoever. Now, can I just be honest with you? It takes sometimes a little doing to get to that place. David, have you ever read the Psalms? Seems like a clinical psychopath. Doesn't he? I mean, let's face it. I mean, you ever read the Psalms? The beginning of the Psalms, any, almost any Psalm, you can all just open it up and pick one. And here's what you'll find, David. These are prayers, David's prayers. And at the beginning, he's like, oh God, why have you failed me? God, look at what my enemies are doing to me. God, everybody's getting me. They're making fun of me. It's almost like, you know, God, I'm being made a mockery, you know, of me, God. I can't believe this. And God, I don't understand how long is it going to take for you to show up, God. This is David. And then you read the end of the psalm, and David is like, but I trust in you, God. God, you're my rock, my fortress, and you do I trust in God. Though a thousand may fall at this side and ten thousand, it will not come nigh my dwelling. And, and your, your name is a strong tower, and you're a refuge, uh, God. And I, and I run to you, and God, I know you're going to come through, and I know my enemies. It's like David. What's the matter with you? He's processing. See, see, faith is sometimes a place that we arrive at. You don't always start there. Sometimes you have to sift through. And there are things in our lives that we control that determine how quickly we get there or how, 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 how we struggle to get there. That's, that's next week. But he says, listen, if you're going to ask God, you have to be free of doubt. You have to have confidence that God will do what he said he's going to do. And matter of fact, if you read through the Bible, one of the things you'll notice, even if you are a casual reader of the Bible, as you go through the Gospels, almost exclusively when Jesus ministers to somebody and they experience a life turnaround, what does Jesus say to them? 
Your faith has made you whole. Matthew chapter 9, verse number 22, Jesus meets up with a woman who has an issue of blood 12 years. Nobody can do anything for her. She keeps getting worse. She spent all her money. But she touches the hem of Jesus' garment. Jesus turns around and he says to her, be of good cheer, daughter. Your faith has made you whole. Your faith has made you whole. And one of the things that she, she did in order to get to a place of faith is she acted probably even though she didn't feel like acting. Do you know one of the greatest things that you can do for your mind is act like God wants you to act even if you don't feel like it? Because do you not realize that when you do something, despite how you feel, you are conditioning your mind to accept that as a thought on an ongoing basis. And that's why Nike came up, I'm preaching next week's message, that's why Nike came up with the slogan, just do it. How many of you know, sometimes you got to, just do it. Sometimes you got to push your feelings back. Sometimes you got to say, I don't care what I feel like right now. I don't care what I'm thinking up in my head. I'm just going to do it. And the fuel of action will feed your faith. And so she pushed through the crowd, probably not wanting to, but when Jesus saw the faith, how many of you know faith can be seen? Faith has a sound. Faith has a feel. You can't fake faith. You either have faith or you don't have faith. You're either pregnant or you're not pregnant you can't be a little pregnant faith is something that's got to be put on the inside of you and God said if you want to get an answer from me you've got to pray in faith what is faith it is this this expectation an expectation that God is really going to do what he promised I give this example a lot anybody remember Domino's pizza Domino's pizza and, and you remember back in the day, you would order, they'd advertise, they'd say, if it's not there 30 minutes, unless you get it for free, right? Anybody always hoped they were 31 minutes away, right? Like, you don't want it to be 45, because you're like, you're hungry, you want to eat your pizza, right? But you want it to be 31, because 31 is just over the time limit where you can get it for free, right? But, but did anybody ever doubt that Domino's was going to show up with the pizza? I never did. Matter of fact, if you like me, you got your paper plates out and your, your, your cups and your, your napkins and your, your bottle of soda and you, you set the table, right? And then right around when I started getting about 25 minutes, you start peeking out the window and looking for the dominoes, man, and, and yelling to the kids, five minutes, we're going to be eating. And you got this trust and this faith in the Domino's pizza, man. You called Domino's. You spoke to somebody you never met before. Male, female, who knows? They told you your pizza would be there in 30 minutes or left. You set your table. You put out your cups. You got your soda ready. You told your family you were going to eat in 30 minutes. You looked out the window and you never met the person that promised you the pizza. But yet we have a relationship with Almighty God. We have a God that saved us. We have a God that died for us. We have a God that is faithful to us. And yet when God says, says something, we have the audacity to not expect it. What is wrong with our relationship with God? Faith is an expectation that God is going to do what he has promised. How do we know that God will do what he's promised? How do we know that God will do what we pray? We must pray God's promises. The only way you can ever know that God will do what he, what you pray is if you are praying God's promises because God has obliged himself to make good on his promises. How do you know, for example, that it is the will of God for everyone to be saved? 
By the way, this is debated in theological circles. Well, I don't believe God wants everybody to be saved. And I believe God does want everybody to be saved. And I believe only the elect can be saved. But if you're not the elect, you can't be saved. And I don't know if I'm really the elect, but I, I think I really am the elect. This goes back and forth. And then I'm like, what y'all arguing about? First Timothy chapter two, verse number three says, for this is good and acceptable in the sight of God, our savior, who desires how many men to be saved? All men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. I know what God wants in that situation because his word says so. How do I know it's the will of God for all Christians to live a holy life? You know, because nowadays you're like, well, it really doesn't matter too much. Not everybody's perfect, you know, and we have God's grace. And so I could do a little bit of this and a little bit of that. And I'm still tight with God. You know what I'm saying? I don't know where we get this stuff from. The Bible says, be holy. Even as I am holy, God's will is for us to live a holy life. How do I know it's the will of God for his children to be healthy and prosperous? I don't have to guess at this stuff. It's not my opinion. It's not somebody else. It's the word of God. Look what it says. 3 John 2 says, Beloved, I pray that you may prosper in all things and be in health even as your soul prospers. Here's the ticket. Here's what Jesus says. How can you know that when you pray, God is going to answer your prayers. Jesus said in John fifteen seven. he said, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, then you shall ask what you will and it will be given to you. If you abide in me and my words, what are his words? His will. When I get his words on the inside of me and then I pray, I'm not just praying my desires, I'm praying God's will because his word is on the inside of me. Matter of fact, I believe when the word gets on the inside of you that your desires become God's desires, right? It's the Bible says, seek ye God and he will give you the desires of your heart. It literally means he'll plant in you the desires. Delight yourself in the Lord. Seek God. Get tight with God. What will happen? God will plant his desires on the inside of you. So when you pray, you're praying in accord with his will and with his desires. And when you know you're praying according to his will and his desires, watch this. First John 5, 14 says, this is the confidence that we have in him. That if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. How do you know you're asking God his will? Wouldn't that be cruel of God? If God said, I'll only answer your prayers, yes, if it's my will, but I'm not going to tell you what my will is. And God said, just go ahead and try. Guess, and I'll let you know. And you pray, and God's like, nope, that's not it. Try again. Nope, that's not it either. Try again. Nope, that's... How many of you know, if we didn't know the will of God, it would be totally unfair for God to say things like this, that if you ask anything according to my will, I hear you. And if you know that I hear you, you know that we have, you have the petitions that I've at, you've asked of me. See, we need to pray according to God's will. How do we get God's will? We go into the Bible. And we begin to get promises. Don't call me and ask me where in the Bible is, is promises healing. I mean, not that, I, not that I'm like bothered by it. Just Google it. What you need me for? Google knows more about the Bible than I do. I mean, it can give you 20 scriptures about that particular thing. I might only remember two or three. Just Google it and get you some scriptures. And, and then when you get those scriptures, that becomes the basis of your faith. That becomes the stand. You put. You take your stand on the promises of God, right? You've heard me teach you before that what is the, what is the, the, the advantage of the giraffe in the jungle? He, he is or she is Kareem Abdul Giraffe, right? They stand tall. If a giraffe lays down, 
Giraffe is vulnerable. It's got to take a stand. You have to take a stand on the word of God in order to be in a place of faith so that you can get your prayers answered. Second, second principle. How do I get my prayers answered, Pastor? Because there are some battles that cannot be won unless I pray. Second way you get your prayers answered is you remind God of his promises. Listen to this carefully because in Isaiah chapter 62, verse number 6 and 7, it says, On your walls, Jerusalem, I have placed sentries. They must never be silent day or night. They must remind the Lord of his promises and never let him forget them. They must give him no rest until he restores Jerusalem and makes it a city the whole world praises. Now look at this, Isaiah 43, verse 25. I, even I, am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake, and I will not remember your sins anymore. Put me in remembrance. Let us contend together. State your case that you may be acquitted. Now I love the combination of these two scriptures because it's so contrary to the way most people pray. Most people spend a lot of time in prayer reminding God about their sins. God, I did this. God, I did that. And God, I know I'm not worthy. And God did it again. And oops, sorry, God. And God, I know you probably don't. And they spend a lot of time. Now, we need to go to God and ask him to forgive us of our sins, right? But why can we go to God and ask him to forgive us of our sins? Because God has promised that when we do, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. So if we go to God with a problem, here's what God expects. Don't stay focused on the problem. Start focusing on the promises. Here's what God says. He said, when you come to me and you ask me to forgive you, I throw your sins into the sea of forgetfulness. So don't stay focused on what you've done wrong. Don't stay focused on the problem. Stay focused on the promise when you come to me. Remind me of my promises over and over, and over, and over, and over again. State your case, he says. This is courtroom talk, talk, courtroom talk. State your case, lawyer talk. Imagine you, you, you have a case, you know, and you are the defendant. You hire an attorney, and, and it's about a contract. And, and the person accuses you of breaking the contract. And so they want to take you into court and they want to get, 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 uh, you know, uh, damages for you breaking the contract. And you go into the courtroom and you, you expect your lawyer to be able to defend you. And your lawyer gets up and the judge says, okay, I want you to give your case, present your case. And the lawyer goes, well, I think you ought to let them off the hook because they're a good guy. I think you, you ought to let him off the hook because just today, just today when we were walking in the courtroom, I saw him just, you know, there was a whole bunch of people behind. He opened the door and he just let everybody just walk by and he just said, he, it was his pleasure to hold that door. Matter of fact, you should have seen this guy. I mean, we were online at the concession stand and this is his case. We're online at the concession stand and there was only one chocolate chip cookie left. There was this little kid that he overheard saying, I want that chocolate chip cookie. And he really wanted a chocolate chip cookie, but you know what he did? He bought it, he gave it to the little kid you ought to let them off because they are a good guy can i tell you how we do that in church god you, you ought to answer me because i show up in church you ought to answer me because I, i've been pretty sinless this week god yeah i've been good god this month not 1.7 times this month all four times been the church god i think you ought to answer my prayer you know what that is that's ignorance of the covenant 
Just like the lawyer cannot win for you if he doesn't know the contract. You cannot win. You cannot get God to move in your life unless you know the contract. You've got to know your covenant. You've got to know what it says. So that way when you go before the Lord, you can plead your case before the Lord. How? By pointing to the promises in the covenant. Not to necessarily keep God in remembrance. It's not for God's benefit. Here's why God tells us to do that. Because when we keep God in remembrance, what we're doing is we're bringing God's word to him and we're saying, God, I've been studying. I've been standing on your word. I know what the covenant says. I know what the contract says. And this is the means by which I'm coming to you. Because God is a covenant keeping God. You got to know your contract. You got to know what God says in his word. Listen to what Charles Finney once said. Charles Finney, he's a great revivalist, by the way, responsible for one of the greatest revivals in America during the 1920s into 1930. And he wrote this once. He said, I was constrained to pray without ceasing. I could not rest in the house, and I was obliged to retire to the barn frequently throughout the day, where I would unburden my soul and pour out my heart to God in prayer. I had wonderful faith given to me at that time, and had some experiences that alarmed me. When I was alone, I would wrestle and struggle. And my faith would rise until I would say to God that he made a promise to answer prayer. And I could not and would not be denied. I was so burdened as to use such strong language to God in prayer. I felt so certain that he would hear me. And that faithfulness to his promises and to himself rendered it impossible that he should not hear an answer. That frequently I found myself saying to him, I hope thou dost not think I can be denied. I came with thy faithful promises in my hand, and I cannot be denied. Imagine talking to God like that. Imagine, in essence, saying to God, God, I'm not leaving prayer until I have a confidence, until I get an assurance from you that you are going to deliver on your promise. Some people would say, that's crazy talk with God. How many remembers Jacob in the Bible? Jacob ran away from God. All of a sudden, he decided to come back to God. Now, here's a guy that was living apart from God for years and years and years. Ran from God. Ran from God's destiny. Ran from what God wanted from his life. Suddenly, he had an experience with God. He decided to go back home and make right with the people that he had wronged. And he meets God at that place, you know, Jacob's ladder. And there they, they do what? They wrestle together. And do you remember what Jacob said to God? He said, I'm not letting you go until you bless me. God, this is not one of them little two-second prayers for a lifetime answer God I'm going to pray through I'm going to press in I've got your promises in my hand I come to you with what is faithful God I come to you with a covenant signed and sealed in the blood of Jesus and I'm not leaving until this situation turns God I'm pressing in what you got to do is you got to remind God of his promises third thing and last thing I want to give you and I'll let you go home and enjoy the ice. <laughs> Number three, if you're going to get God to answer your prayers, you must pray in the name of Jesus. A lot of people try to pray in the name of Jesus, but don't. Here's what they do. They say, God, in your name I pray. And 
Now, oh, why are you being so particular, Pastor? I'm not being particular. I want to show you what Jesus himself said. There's a reason why God wants us to pray in the name of Jesus. Watch this, John chapter 14, verse number 13. He says, and whatever you ask in my name, that will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. Ask in whose name? Jesus' name. John 16, verse 23. At that time, you won't need to ask me for anything. What time? The time of Jesus' departure from the earth. He's talking to his disciples. He says, when I go, you don't have to come to me anymore. In other words, don't, don't direct your prayer to me. Don't come to me. He says, I'll tell you the truth. You will ask the Father. Who are our prayers directed toward? Father. Our Father who art in heaven. Hallowed be thy name. Direct your prayers to the Father. He's the one from all good things come. He says, and I tell you the truth, you will ask the Father, and he will grant your request because you use my name. You haven't done this before. Ask using my name, and you will receive, and you will have abundant joy. Now watch this. Why does Jesus want us to use his name? By the way, using somebody's name can be powerful, right? You ever meet people who like to name drop all the time? You know, they're like, yeah, this guy, and I, I know this guy, and I know that guy. And, and, and we know that using somebody's name can be powerful, right? I mean, think about it. You know, you're, there's a long line, and you know somebody that knows somebody, and they tell you when you get there, there's going to be a big line, but just go to the front and tell whoever's at the front of the line that so-and-so set you. And so you go there, and, and you say, so-and-so sent me, and you cut the whole line. You go, in, and everybody gives you bad looks and goes, what's special about you, right? Or, for instance, you're at work and your boss tells you to do something and it requires the help of other employees. And so you go to the other employees and you say, Mr. Boss or Mrs. Boss wants me to tell you to do this. And they do it not because you said so, but because the boss is telling you to use their name. Our kids even know the power of using somebody's name. My kids, when they were little, come up to me all the time and say, Mommy said I could have a cookie. I mean, like, well, if mommy said, I ain't gonna, I ain't gonna mess with mommy. I'm not gonna lose my relationship with mommy because of you here have all the cookies that you want to have. Right? Jesus tells us, he says, when you come to the Father, he said, throw my name around. It, it, it carries a lot of weight in heaven. When you throw the name of Jesus around in heaven, it gets the Father's attention. It gets the angel's attention. It gets the Holy Spirit's attention. Every knee, the Bible says, will bow in heaven and under heaven to the name of Jesus. Use that name. Throw it around. It's got authority. The name of Jesus. And so sure enough, Jesus says, ask the Father in my name. When you ask the Father in Jesus' name, not only does it carry authority and weight in heaven, but it carries authority and weight on earth. The enemy bows to the name of Jesus. You remember the story in the Bible about Peter and John? They go up to the temple at the hour of prayer. There's a lame man begging there. He's lame, blind. He's begging there. He's asking alms, right? And uh, Peter looks at him and says, silver and gold have I none. But such as I have, I give unto thee. He grabs him by the hand, pulls him up. He says, in the name of Jesus, rise and walk. There's power in the name of Jesus. Power over the enemy. Now listen, it's got to be something that is in your heart. Because you can't go, yep, yeah, you know, in the name of Jesus like pastor told us. 
Anytime you try to use something that I gave you without it being yours, it can come through me, but eventually it's got to be yours. Eventually you got to get it in your heart. It's got to come from within you. Well, you got to know that you know that you know. Every time you say the name of Jesus, you should almost see in your mind's eye everything around you just falling down and bowing. And when you use the name of Jesus, you should, you should be able to just sense that demons are shuddering. You should have that much confidence in the name of Jesus. When you use the name of Jesus, it releases power. And so in order for you to get your prayers answered, you've got to pray very specifically. You've got to pray using the name of Jesus. You've got to pray by reminding God of his promises, and you've got to pray in faith. I want to practice this. Would you stand to your feet as we close?